You want to talk about Everest? Sure. I think People, it's oh, because it's in the news. Well, it's in the news. It peaked in the news. I think it's starting yeah, to come down. But yeah, yeah. Do you see the pictures of the the line of people? Like I was shocked. Well, it, what's the, yeah? The weird thing was like two weeks before that they were talking about all the garbage and dead bodies left up there, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that people were, it was like, okay, we got to do something because there's just shit up there now. And nobody will go up and get it. Oh, because it's too dangerous. Is there a draw now that everybody and their grandmother's doing it? Like, The Great Dive Podcast is hosted by your buddies, James and Brando. everybody started doing it i'm like okay i have no i have no draw i don't have the dreams that i had i just want to die (laughs) (laughs) you can you can throw throw that out somewhere uh, i'm just tired i just want to go to sleep (laughs) permanently getting some good feedback about the gareth interview which was good that's uh Hopefully the Patreon subscribers are, are are like, yeah, this is a good deal. Well, I like hearing the background. And right, right, right. Straight was, from the I horse's mouth. Tell you, I was a little nervous doing the interview. I, I wasn't sure how it was going to come out, but I'm pretty happy with how that yeah that interview. Well, I went. think the biggest thing, the biggest thing that we had going for that interview is that I shut up. <laughs> <laughs> we let Gareth. <laughs> <laughs> say what he wanted to say instead of some uh, jackhole well, staring it off <laughs> into. Gareth made a, a a post the other day. Yesterday was he he posted on something I put out there. Oh, that chalkboard thing. Oh and yeah, then yeah, one yeah. Of, one of my family friends posted something back, and he private messaged me. He's like, I don't know, I don't know if she's serious or, <laughs> or not, and and I. I was, I'm reading it, I'm like, I don't know either. Well, it was like, uh, it was like that meme that was going around about us. Oh, the, that, uh, the SpongeBob. SpongeBob one, you but, didn't but get I, it? I, I didn't well, understand my, it at all. When I, I first looked at it, I was like, I can't tell if that's a good, if that's a positive comment or a negative. But then I, then I started thinking about SpongeBob and, and I, then I got, oh, we're the Krabby Patty and, yeah, yeah. uh, is the chum bucket and it, in the cartoon See, the like chum now, bucket's like always jealous of the Krabby Patty everybody goes to Krabby Patty nobody goes to the chum bucket and he's always trying to steal the secret recipe so See, I, I, I you had no any, idea I, yeah I, I, had re, I, I had to reach was, back way back like I saw we like haven't watched the, Spongebob in 10 years podcast yeah and then the chum bucket coming, coming down with well that's yeah crushing it, it looked like it was like crushing it like, yeah so there was the old restaurant and then because there was like oh. a fist holding the chum bucket, and then the other one was gone. So I thought it was like that one came in and crushed it. Chum bucket is the restaurant. Yeah. Well, yeah. see, I didn't know that. Yes, part. I know. I know. <laughs> I had to. I had to like draw, reach back, and go. What was SpongeBob about? You know, get the intricacies of. But SpongeBob. once I learned it, then it went. So, oh, the, so then I, a, I got that's home. That's kind of a. Yeah, I got home. Thumbs up to us. And I showed it to my wife. She knew exactly what it was. Oh, does she watch SpongeBob? Is she mm-hmm. a fan? No, I oh. guess when she finished her residency, yeah, they made her build a Krabby Patty Lego set. <laughs> so <laughs> they made her, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, at the time, yeah. you know, the, some of the other people were like, "Oh, Patty, Krabby Patty, yes. the restaurant yeah, thing." Yeah, yeah. Well, SpongeBob was much bigger than than he is now. Right, uh, of course, right. SpongeBob voice guy just died not too long ago. But SpongeBob was pretty big when my kids were at that age. Where, and it's right. and it's like a Bugs Bunny. There's a lot of adult humor in it. That's what I heard. Yeah, it. I mean, a lot of funny adult humor. You're watching this. This is pretty funny. Yeah, but stuff. I had no. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I had no draw to watch it. Well, you I, st- I had no. You don't have kids. You know, you're stuck watching cartoons with your kids. Okay, right, right. 
I mean, you can be the parents, and that's we have all, friends that are have, which that is are why like, you are, you're my children will never watch that box. Which is why you have that Teletubby shirt yeah, on today. Exactly. <laughs> now, the Tubbies were another, a different level of adulting. <laughs> this is, not to go off too far, no, but good, uh, we had friends who, like, my kids will never watch that box, especially, or if they do, it will only be the most intelligent shows. Well, right, right. Those, it's just like my, uh, my nephews who my my sister-in-law would not let them have a weapon. The boys, three boys, right? Would not. She's like, no, they won't have any weapons. These kids made weapons out of everything. Right. It'd you be a the, book. The, it's a gun. It's a banana, machine gun. The banana's a gun. Oh, everything was a gun or a knife. <laughs> and you're like, these are the most violent little kids I've ever seen. Where <laughs> my kids was play, you know, we're playing, we shoot them up on the video games. No, we didn't play, you know, as little kids, we weren't playing Grand Theft Auto or anything, but, you know, Mortal Kombat. Right, which is pretty uh, pretty violent. There's some blood, blood and guts, you know, fatality, and then they rip the heart out and stuff. But it's so cartoonish that they they get it. My kids did not go out and rip anybody's hearts out. And speaking of SpongeBob on the TV, <laughs> but have you seen the TV lately with all these people dying oh. up on Mount Everest? <sighs> great segue. That's great. Like your segues, I rate them in my head because. You're usually not below an eight. You're like really good with your segues. Occasionally you get like, wait, you're stretching that segue. You get well, a six. Well, still not bad, <laughs> but not your normal. Look what I got to work with. <laughs> <laughs> but like, like, dude, see, like, I'm all over like, the board, I so I can give I'm you. Saying. You can grab like anything it's, and go. It's like the. Uh, well, that's my point. Is that as I reach, it's going away. And I'm like, shit, I missed it. I missed it. That was my. Opportunity. Wait, let's dial it back. Pause. That was my opportunity. <laughs> Yeah. How are we on French poodles? <laughs> what can- <laughs> we were just talking about the exorcist. Now we're on French poodles. Yeah, so, boy, Everest has been in the news, eh? Yeah, yeah. I, well, I mean, the funny the- thing is, not the funny thing, but the, the thing was, I know they're in the news for, like, all kinds of, everybody and their grandmothers going up, but, like, two weeks ago they were in the news for all the garbage up there for and the bodies. Yeah, you not, know, yeah garbage bodies and, and garbage. bodies, and then, like, this... What is it? This month there's been over ten people. This, dead. I think this yeah. month already. Yeah, dead died up there on that that trek. Yeah, and holy shit! Did you see the? I mean, yeah, the they line sh- of people. They showed an aerial of that mm-hmm. line. I had no clue. I mean, that is ridiculous. My question I mean, is, what's about, the draw? I mean, if you everybody's talk about doing the, it. the the crowd of people on a cattle boat and how annoying yeah. that is to go on a, on a oh. dive with like thirty people. I mean, that was elbow to elbow, butts to nuts, yeah. all the way up that hill for the longest stretch. And then you're going to get up there. You think, you know, I'm going to be in isolation. It's going to be so quiet. I'll be able to reflect. I'm going to be where nobody can, be has to, ever been. And... To transcend reality with, you know, meditation and complete silence. Just the wind whipping through the mountain crest. No. No, it'd be like shut the fuck up, go to sleep. (laughs) Well, they're just like all like pushing up to get their to get their selfie at the top of Mount Everest. It's like move, get out of my way, out of my way, move, move. Do you think I I got (laughs) I got like fifteen more breaths before I die? I gotta get my selfie. I'm using up my O2. Yeah, uh, you compare that to like the cattle boat with the instructor coming down to show everybody the seahorse. To get their picture of the of the seahorse mm-hmm. under the boat, yeah, it definitely is concerning. It's a statement of of where you know when and what times we're living, in, right? It's definitely a statement, a social statement. You look at why people. I mean, honestly, it, this is very relatable to scuba diving because people climb Everest for the same reason. A lot of people push that envelope in scuba diving as well. Right? Yeah, no right? doubt about it. Um, um, I found this cool article out of Popular Science magazine. Oh, really? Just came out yesterday. As I was looking, Popular at, Science that just came out yesterday. Yeah, okay. just came out yesterday. So we we don't have something from the '60s and '70s this time. No, no, we are. We we keep it fresh. Jamesy you is. You never uh, know what you're going to get with Great Dive Podcast. We should we should tell everybody. Jamesy is like the producer of this show, as well as the host. He. I don't know how he has time to research all this stuff. He doesn't have kids. He does, well, that's that's a, a definite. So I think that might benefit. help him. But yeah, he's he's in all these books, all these well, magazines, all the time, looking for great material to be relevant and entertaining for you. I was you, to, the, to be honest with you, 
to be honest with you people, <laughs> I was looking at videos of, of people in a like jam-packed subway crowd line of climbing to the top of Mount Everest yeah. uh, when my fictional unpaid intern, Tiffany, Tiffany. showed me the link to this she, article. Uh, she's on the ball. She so I, I, props to Tiffany for showing me this. We're always giving her props. Does she ever like mess up? I don't think so. She's uh, we're we're doubling her salary, double, triple it. But Popular Science had an article about the increase in Everest deaths may have nothing to do with crowds or waiting. More people are climbing the mythical peak than ever before. And like Nepal, they're saying Nepal is giving out like a record number of, of permits, pe- yes, yeah. to climb that. And you look at the Nepalese government, it's got to be like, where the hell else are we going to make a buck in tourism, right? It's people wanting to go do... Well, I think Nepal is for what they're willing is an to incredible pay. country from what I've read. I've never been there, so I can't say... I, I mean, really, well, there's the, Everest there's... is supposed to be the, the one of the challenges for, for mountain climbers that is up there. You know, like, like the Doria used to be for scuba divers, right? Right. Maybe it's getting cheapened by this, like... Come on, everybody, come and climb Everest. We'll give you a permit. You don't need any special qualifications. We just... Just a wallet. Yeah, just a, a wallet. wallet. Right. Well, I, I think there's a lot of that in, in scuba as well. Is, is oh, that's my point. Yeah. That that carrot of the deep shipwreck is dangled. Right. Right. And all it takes is a open credit card. Right. And you, too, can do it. And there's go a, get, go and get there's your certification. Ton, your, there's your a tech ton. F- is it tech... Boom, and there you go. <laughs> whatever the you know tech yeah. rating of the week, you know certification from whatever agency. Yeah, it, mm-hmm. it's and you've got it in a weekend, and you're doing this dive, right? Right, driven by a basically technology taking you there and back. Hopefully, hopefully is the key word. And and that's and these guys are doing this climb. They're not even experienced climbers, right? And they're just basically following a tow rope. They want know. their selfie up there. Like we've yeah. said it before. They want their selfie. It's it's all about satisfaction of the ego. Correct, because they're taking a photo of themselves mm-hmm. right up at the top, saying, I've, I'm at the top of the world. Right. I climb the highest peak in the world. You take them to like a real mountain that's a fraction it's of the event. size yeah. of that and, and give, them, yeah. uh, give them a pair of climbing boots, right? And they couldn't make it up. Oh yeah, part of that hill, right? Take away their sherpas, take away their guides, right. and you say, "Okay, go do this." And I guess my other question is, if you don't have to put any work into it, is there really any value in it? I think it's defeated. Right. I mean, what you were trying to get out of it is, well, you wanted to chest thump a bunch, apparently. Correct. I mean, because it wasn't. It but, wasn't. The the goal wasn't a spiritual place inside of you. There you go. That's what I was trying to, or my ultimate, where I was going with that was. Why do we dive? Right. Why do we climb? Why did the, when people would climb Everest, it, you know, they did it alone. I mean, not that they didn't have their Sherpas or whatnot, but they were doing, they were searching for something in themselves and they weren't necessarily doing it to get that, that selfie. I'm not, and this isn't a hundred percent blanket statement, but this is the, I think the vast majority of people doing that. And mountains like or peaks like Everest, they were doing that for uh, something inside them to to show themselves what they they can do. You know, not necessarily to ha- take a picture so you can show everybody else how cool you are. Right. Yeah, it was more about I I need to learn about myself. And and I I guess we can't sit here on the outside and tell these tell all these people. They're all egotistic. Look at me. No, no. People. But you got to wonder, really? Well, I'm sure These a people lot of that them... have no no background or little background, you know, right. this I mean, is there's, why people yeah, are dying. I'm sure there's a lot of very experienced climbers that are up doing this. Yeah. But at the same time, there's also a lot of very inexperienced mm-hmm. climbers as well. Right. And that's... And that's what they're saying here is... The number of like permits to people who really aren't climbers but just have the pocketbook right. to to go do it to do it to do that been there done that right because in ten years are they still climbing right fuck no no <laughs> I've already done the the, the yes. top of the top of the world what do I need to be climbing uh, every weekend for it's just yeah it's the exact same in the diving world the people that I see beating their chest about it they have like little they they just got into diving and within two years or a year they're popping down to 400 feet 
in in a ridiculous rig that they that is self-styled you know and you're you're looking at the pictures and you're listening to the story you're reading the story and then the person's out of diving you know two years from that or a year from that sure and not, really and not even 400 yeah. i mean i mean yeah 200, yeah, 200 and, and 300 anyway eleven thirty a.m local time um this is an article by eleanor cummins out of popular science magazine came out yesterday Yesterday, meaning May 29th. Nice. So this is <laughs> May 29th. Yesterday was 29th. Oh, yes. So it was an anniversary date. May 29, 1953. New Zealand mountaineer Edmund Hillary and Nepali Sherpa Tenzing Norgay reached the summit of Mount Everest, making them the first climbers in the recorded history to successfully scale the world's tallest mountain. Part of the Himalayan chain. Everest took its current shape sometime in the last two million years, thrust upward by collisions between the Indian, Australian, and Eurasian tectonic plates. Today, Everest's summit soars 29,000 feet above sea level and continues to grow about a quarter inch each year. The mountain's existence has long been a fact of life for Central Asians living in its shadow. But in the 1850s, the so-called golden age of alpinism, Everest came to the attention of Westerners after an Indian mathematician working for the British colonial government identified it as the highest peak on the planet. But it would take another century of exploration before Hillary would reach the top. Things have sped up considerably since then. In the 66 years since Hillary's famous expedition, more than 48,000 people have completed the daunting trek. And an estimated 300 have died trying. 11 of those deaths have been in the past two weeks alone. Well, it is the uh, the peak time because the conditions are, are good. Yeah, right? so, so everybody... it makes sense that it's ramping mm-hmm. up right now, right? Well, yes, yes. But there's still an abnormally high amount of, you know, abnormally large quantity of people scaling Mount Everest now. Yeah, so uh, this season, Eleanor mentions there's been a lightning rod for political, economic, and interpersonal drama. This year, Nepal, one of the poorest countries in the world, issued a record number of permits to Everest, hopefuls. Expert mountaineers say many of these permits went to newbies who brought money. Agency-led expeditions can run more than $45,000, she mentions, Mm -hmm. to that mountain, but no relevant experience. And everyone's rushing up the mountain at the same time. Everest is usually surrounded by a ferocious jet stream. So when the winds abate for brief periods in the spring, climbers go wild. The result, in the words of New York Times, is a mountain reminiscent Lord of the Flies, a zoo (laughs) crowded by fly-by-night adventure companies. But what exactly about this three-ring circus in the clouds is killing mountaineers? So she mentions some risks. There's risks being 30,000 feet up in the air with a interesting <laughs> with a walking stick and, a, and ice and snow and rocks and and it's not and just a long fall down yeah long fall i think the, i think the coldness has something to do with it coldness the lack of heat the hypothermic risks oh yeah that's why there are the, all those uh, frozen and the, and bodies then, up there yeah and and then you're up there freezing to death and you're getting your ass sunburnt at the same time yes. i saw a uh, they had to like a uh, top 20 pictures of dead people on Everest, you know, one of those stupid things. Oh, yeah. But you can click through there and see the, the dead bodies that are left frozen there. Yeah, there's the, the famous guy, Green Boots, who became a landmark up there, right? Oh, like, Green like, Boots. Climbing up climbing up the, the face of the mountain. Like, green you, boots. you know we got to, well... well <laughs> That's you like know, your, we're gonna how much further we get? <laughs> right, like... This is halfway. Green Boots is halfway. That's... That's your legacy, is you became a landmark for other climbers, like your corpse. Yeah, I don't know if that's a great legacy to aspire to. Luann Freer is an emergency medical doctor. In 2003, she founded Everest ER to serve climbers and Sherpas injured on the mountain. The problem, she says, is primarily one of altitude. But the ways in which thin air can destroy a human body are surprisingly diverse. Oh, I would believe it. It's like, uh, well, it's hyperbaric medicine to a certain degree. You know, it's hypobaric. Hypo, yeah, yeah, yeah hypobaric. It's hypobaric medicine. So, whenever you're dealing with pressure, I mean, uh, there are a lot of things we still don't know the effects of pressure on the human body over long periods of time, sure, yeah, especially, yeah. and breathing the the lower partial pressure up there of the oxygen. Yeah, because you know, we're, we we're just not evolved. The human body isn't evolved to 
to deal with that well, low of a partial pressure of oxygen. But would you really evolve? I mean, the thing is, we are we are we have evolved to be able to deal with a range of partial pressures. Although the range yeah. is, uh, I mean, when it goes up too high, we we convulse, we go into seizures. When it goes too low, doesn't su- sustain our cognitive abilities. In other words, we'll go unconscious. Our body needs. You know, I think it's a PPO2 of 0.16, if I'm not mistaken, right. to, to sustain consciousness. And as you go up in altitude, we, we go from the one, one atmosphere of sea level. We start to decrease that. Basically, it's not that the oxygen is... I, I'm just pointing that out for our listeners so they have an understanding when you go up in the mountains. It's not that the oxygen goes away. It's that the pressure is less because you have less atmosphere over your head that the, that's why the air is called thinner because there's less molecules, molecules per s- area right in the same amount of volume there's less molecules still 21 percent of, mm-hmm. of the gas it's just that the oxygen there's less pressure keeping it tight together most humans live near sea level for a good reason the real estate <laughs> well, it's easy to function real estate values <laughs> No matter how physically fit or genetically gifted, members of our species start to struggle above 8,000 feet. While it depends on the individual, the most common symptoms are fatigue, headaches, vomiting, and dizziness. Everest Base Camp, where Everest ER operates and climbers spend most of their time on the mountain, is at 17,600 feet. Freer says most people can hang out there for a few weeks, maybe even a few months, without too many adverse side effects. But summiting Everest requires hikers to gain an additional 12,000 feet of elevation. And that's where things get really dangerous. In the so-called death zone, at altitudes between 26 and 29,000 feet, we are literally racing against the clock and will die if we don't descend, for your wrote in an email. Bad weather, snow, difficult terrain, crowds impeding ascent or descent on a fixed rope and otherwise minor injury, anything that slows us down can be potentially deadly. To put it another way, you're slowly dying above 18,000 feet, says Peter Hackett, a clinical professor in the University of Colorado School of Medicine's Department of Pulmonary Sciences. But when you get above 26,000 feet, you start dying much more quickly. Nice. We're all slowly dying. So I booked us tickets. Uh, <laughs> you can't think straight up there. That's one of the problems with that uh, thinning out pressure. Yeah, with you, that gas, you, you just brain needs O two, man. Yeah. To make it to the top alive, the majority of climbers, including Edmund Hillary, rely on tanks of oxygen. Though some have made the ascent unassisted with a steady supply of compressed gas cylinders, Hackett says climbers can make 29,000 feet feel more like 24,000 feet. It's a huge relief, but it's not enough to sustain you for a long term. Well, the Sherpas, too, I mean, they've adapted somewhat, right? They've been able to adapt to the lower PO2s. Right, because they're living at you know, oh, yeah. ten to yeah. 15,000 feet uh, their whole lives. So maybe they have more, I don't know, I don't, and we could look this up too, but more hemoglobin content, more iron, something. Right, some yeah, there could certainly iron be Iron binding capacity. Yeah, better uh, the, transport uh, mechanism in the blood mm-hmm. that they've evolved to uh, have. I, I could easily believe that. Or maybe they're just magic. Maybe they're aliens. <laughs> maybe they're aliens. I'm not saying it's aliens. <laughs> Without enough oxygen, the brain becomes compromised. Thinking is impaired. Judgment is impaired. Minor coordination can be impaired, Hackett says. This hypoxic state may contribute to deadly mistakes, like falling off a cliff face or deciding to rest in the middle of a climb. Someone who's running low of oxygen may think they can sit down and they'll never get up, Hackett says. What someone has experienced there is exhaustion exposure, a combination of exhaustion and hypothermia. Add in the long lines coming down due to overcrowding, and you're more likely to freeze up as you stand idle or exhaust the little energy you have saved up from the ascent. Yikes. So, uh, you know, in in a good nitrox class, you should have learned a little bit about that normoxic range of O2 levels, right, from what what you were saying earlier, 0.16 up to like a a 0.5, I think. So you learn where 
you need to start tracking your PPO2s for scuba diving because that PPO2 gets above the 0.5 mark. The opposite end of that, which you'll start to learn as you go from nitrox into like a trimix class where you're breathing a hypoxic mixture, mm-hmm. is those O2 levels get too low. That's kind yeah. of what you, these guys are dealing with going oh. to Everest, that PPO2 is falling just because of the loss of the ambient pressure. Right. Right. Diving, you're losing it because you're cutting the percentage of the gas down, knowing that it's going to climb back up with depth. Right. And the, there's two different forces, or I shouldn't say forces, but two th- two different risks here. One with the hypoxic is you lose consciousness, right? You lose your cognitive abilities, your thinking, your alertness, and you eventually lose consciousness. With us going down, we have hyperoxic. We start giving getting too much oxygen that affects our central nervous system differently it's not that we're going to lose consciousness per se from our our alertness what's going to happen is it's toxic to our nervous system at high high pressures so we go into seizures we have it also damages our lungs over a long period of time so you have that toxicity to a certain degree that you have to worry about when we go diving so those are two different things right yeah absolutely now the uh the Climber isn't going to have to deal with hyper, right? The nervous system issues and or the uh, lung damage issues because of the high oxygen. Yeah, they got to worry about. I'm just going to sit down here a minute, take a little rest, right? And they'll be out, yeah. and that's it. It's all all upstairs, kind and of. And then thing. you become another landmark, like old green boots. Old green boots. Is that going to be the title of this? Old green boots. <laughs> old green boots. Old green boots. If hypoxia wasn't bad enough, climbers are also at risk of high-altitude cerebral edema when low oxygen levels trigger brain swelling. All the symptoms of hypoxia are just magnified, Hackett says. It's like they're acting drunk. It's still possible to intervene with oxygen, a rapid descent, and the steroid dexamethasone. But in a place like Everest, that window closes quickly. Most of the bodies of people who die on the mountain are left there to be slowly covered by snow and ice. When we say like, oh, this patient's edema in the legs from, you know, cardiac issues, cardiac failure. Um, yeah, so what are the, 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 the brain's probably the brain, like, yeah. like opening up those blood vessels because it, it wants to get more, more O2 up to the brain in there? Is that Maybe. What I don't know, man. Um, it's hard to say because up in the brain, as far as blood goes, the the circulation is a little different. Um and also, you know, I get why they give the steroids. Steroids are really anti-inflammatory. So it's going to bring the swelling in the brain down. Because that's really bad. When your brain starts to swell, that tissue is not, not like uh, um, tough. It's very, very fragile. Yeah. So when it starts swelling, you can do permanent damage. Everest Of course, ER. my brain has been swelling all my life. <laughs> not only... Depends... I was just going to make a joke about where most guys have their brain. Oh. Uh, I don't know how I'm making a joke. I have a penal edema. <laughs> <laughs> I seem to recover nicely. There's only one cure. <laughs> Not only. And the show goes downhill. And this was you this time. <laughs> Not only is there a problem with uh, not being able to think straight, but we also have a problem with breathing up there. Everest ER treats a range of illnesses, including frostbite, heart attacks, breaks and sprains, infections, and altitude sickness. But the most common complaints are respiratory issues, including the kumbu cough or high-altitude hack, a body-shaking croak so severe it's fractured a few mountaineers' ribs. But lung issues can kill people long before they return to base camp for assistance. Some mountaineers die from high-altitude pulmonary edema. When the lungs are so constricted and stressed, the capillary walls start to leak and people's lungs fill up with fluid. Yikes. So they do have lung issues as well from, yeah. from the uh, low the low PO2s and the lungs struggling. Too, the lungs struggling, which we talked when we did the couple of the Dan reports and the BSAC yeah. reports about that immersion pulmonary edema from the, the heavy workload, the heavy mm-hmm. breathing resistance causing the, the same, same, the same issue, mm-hmm. right? Only the other there, way. Yeah. It's just, you're mm-hmm. just struggling to breathe. Yeah. So just another way to go, man. I don't know what else to say about that. That's rough. 
that to me that's just like you're drowning you know you're dry land drowning kind of thing you're just slowly drowning you can't breathe just think about it i just want the listeners to sit and think about this we'll wait <laughs> Don't stop there. Don't stop there. There's more. There's but wait, more. there's more. You too can die from up in the clouds. Hikers also face an increased risk of getting whacked <laughs> by a plane. <laughs> <laughs> getting whacked by the yakety yak. Getting whacked by a yak. No. There's a risk of sudden cardiac death. Everything's out of whack. All the chemistry goes out of whack. All your baroreceptors go out of whack. Your body operates. You know, all these sensors are constantly giving feedback to your brain and at, the other and, and they're expecting uh, it at a normal yeah. at a normal level. Right? Yeah, they're not, they're not expecting well, this extreme that quickly if you're not used to it. Especially, I think that would probably have something to do with it. But knowing how your body is constantly trying to maintain what's called homeostasis, which is this constant level of you know, within the, the chemicals and the pH and everything, everything's trying to stay balanced. That's why when you whack something out, a lot of other things get affected because your body's trying to readjust. So that doesn't, that does make sense to me. Like, uh, oh yeah, everything's going to go out of whack, man. Heart to include the heart, right? Yeah. Some people are born with irregular heartbeats called arrhythmias, but because they spend most of their lives close to sea level, they never even know about it. But high altitude can exacerbate a lurking heart condition. When young mountaineers die suddenly or in their sleep, arrhythmia could be to blame. Meanwhile, older hikers are more likely to suffer from a heart attack. At altitude where bodies aren't getting enough oxygen, blood thickens and everyone's pushing their bodies to the extreme. People with undiagnosed heart disease are, an, are at an additional risk of sudden death. And we could say that same thing about scuba diving as evidenced with the Dan reports and uh, whatnot, the incident reports that we get. That we're, we have an unexplained higher amount of heart attacks than the regular population. Right, and uh, I, believe, I believe that our issue as divers is on the CO2 end. Probably. Right, because the body's working so hard to get rid of, to it. Get rid of it as we alter our breathing pattern, retain the CO2, mm -hmm. working so much harder. Um, and, and I think here it's just the, the heart again is working so much harder up there just to mm -hmm. keep the blood pumping and try yeah. to get as much O2 sent around as it can. When they say a heart attack, there are various reasons for a heart attack and a heart attack is a wide, you know, is very big generality, but basically it's your, your heart stops beating. It could be from a lack of oxygen to the blood vessels, you know, supplying oxygen to the heart. Or it could be an electric issue, meaning the conduction system of the heart is not just went off. You have the you have a, a rhythmic conduction system, and the cells of the heart beat independently. I don't know if you know this. Like you can take cells out of the heart, and they each section of the heart, different sections, have what's called an intrinsic rhythm. So like the ventricles beat at like a forty beat per minute. So if you take those cells out, they'll contract and they relax at 40 beats per minute, roughly. This is all roughly, yeah, yeah. right? The atrial are different. I think they're like 90 to something, 90 to 100 beats per minute. And then you have these, uh, and I'm just recalling 20 years ago as a medic. Look at the uh, big brain on Brando. <laughs> but anyway, what I'm getting at is that's, those are in, intrinsic electrical conduction in your heart. These cells beat on their own. I don't believe any other cells in the body do this. So cardiac cells, heart cells, if they get effed up because of gas supply, oxygen, basically, um, maybe they're not beating the way they should. And they, that's what arrhythmia or dysrhythmia, arrhythmia is a lack of rhythm. Dysrhythmia is a, like they're working against each yeah. other. Something's not beating correctly like it should be. And chemicals can do that too. In right. the sense of too much salt, too much calcium, because uh, our muscles contract based on a uh, a potassium and calcium and relationship. As, yeah, and as we uh, alter the PPO2 in our blood chemistry, is that not yeah. a, a chemical right there? Well, yeah, there, right? that starts adjusting your pH yeah. of your blood. And like I said, you have these pH sensors throughout your body. You have baroreceptors as well. You have them up in your carotid. That's why you can do a carotid massage and change the rhythm of your heart. 
And that's just basically massaging those baroreceptors in the carotid in the carotid arteries on your neck. I saw. Um, I once uh, saw a man. I, I saw a, I saw a Thai masseuse do that same thing. <laughs> sure. Do a massage only she, in a different she place. Did a different. She did <laughs> a type of a massage which changed a, a heart arrhythmia. You have baroreceptors well. all over the human body. <laughs> Nepal requires aspiring Everest climbers to bring a doctor's note. But Hackett says even a full-blown cardiac stress test can't anticipate the challenges one faces in the death zone, especially if your doctor's office is near sea level. And nobody would (laughs) fake a doctor's note either. Right. That's the thing. As for arrhythmias or other congenital risks, the only option would be for climbers to pursue DNA sequencing, something that hasn't taken off among hopefuls or their physicians. DNA sequencing? That's crazy, man. Yeah, to see if you have the... uh, You're likely to have some kind of issue. uh, Really? It's like nowadays they're saying like one in four people have a PFO... You know, uh, are, are they going to start requiring a PFO test to take a basic scuba class? A basic class? Who knows? What it is is people should realize your lungs are your filter. You're, lo- you're trying to get those bubbles to come through your lungs so they go, you breathe them out. That's The lungs are the filter for the bubbles, basically. And when you bypass the lungs because you've got a hole going from, you know, from the point where it's supposed to go out to the lungs... And, and it just goes back the through arterially, pump. yeah. Yeah. Even as doctors, there's still some mysteries out there, Brando. Even as doctors <gasps> and mountaineers... Get the hardy boys. ...can number 1,001 ways a person might die on Everest, Hackett is hesitant to draw firm conclusions about the recent spat of deaths. That's because the information is still trickling in. And what we do know raises more questions than answers. In the past, most people who have died from lack of oxygen have been alone, Hackett says. When you're hiking in a big group or even if you're surrounded by strangers, bumming a hit of O2 should be fairly easy. So it's not likely that a crowded lines to the summit are the sole cause of a recent run of fatalities. So we could, we could equate that to a little bit about solo diving. Good, good point. Yeah, so it is, it is very equatable to... to <laughs> To solo diving, you know, although they're saying that there's still a lot of people up there with O2. Maybe, you know, you should be able to bum a hit, but maybe nobody, I don't know. What, what the I don't hell? know. Is there maybe a, they don't think that they're well, getting they're, low on O2. Well, I think, I think they're at a point right now where they're, they're getting to the a level of they need to look at answering a lot of these questions yeah. ahead of time, which right now they're dealing with it up there going, shit, we got people running out of O2. Uh, we got people... You know, not mm-hmm. carrying enough O2. Well, it sounds uh, to me like they're in the early stages of the scuba scuba field, I, I which think, was yeah, yeah. We have no system really in place, right? No, no. Uh, I mean, is it is it unethical to uh, ask somebody for a hit of O2 right, when you're, right. you know, when you're uh, still a thousand feet from uh, from the summit? Mm-hmm. You can't have my O2. <laughs> What am I going to do when you suck down all my O2? So the, they've, they've not planned for a, a, a rock bottom of O2? Right. Or a rock top of a... Or they're all too good to die. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, so I think that's going to be a question that's going to be mm-hmm. answered over the next couple of, of years with if the they, changes yeah. that they're looking to make with, with climbing up there. Yeah, and it can only be a good thing, you think, in the sense of people will get, you know, at least be required... To, to go through some semblance of training. My I guess my question is, will it go the route of scuba diving and, you know, fast food McDonald's groups through thinking, oh, this guy will never climb Everest. He just wants to climb whatever, you know, so we'll we'll certify him. <laughs> you know, we'll let him go. Right. He's fine. Yeah, he he did clear his mask once. So <laughs> he's all right. He didn't he didn't enjoy it and it, it was it was sketchy at best, but he he can he's certified. Same thing with you know. Well, he couldn't you know he didn't get his O two. He didn't recognize that he was hypoxic. But he's probably only going to go do McKinley. So we're going to let him go. Next thing you know, let me ask he's you a up question. there with fucking if, Everest. If, if you're at twenty seven thousand feet, right? like you're, you're fifteen hundred feet away from the summit, right? You run out of O two. Am I gonna? <laughs> Am I going to need your long hose? Because <laughs> we got to like, cl- like, there's no way yeah. you're going to have a oxygen air McDoodle for climbing. 
McKinley, wow. right? Like now, you might want one because it's. <laughs> I don't know the it, Air Mc the Air McDoodle uh, practitioners are like go Air McDoodle. The, I think the same it's, thing it's would a, go to these. It's, it's yeah, it's interesting times because I think there's going to be some major changes over the next decade of 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 equipment required and and thinking this process out of yeah. no one like what you were saying earlier like, of all the bodies that are just left up there because there's no way you're going to go up and get them and well they don't want to either it's kind of an attraction as well there's green boots <laughs> how are you going to make the left turn at, <laughs> at the cold if, if you don't see you don't if see we move old you know one arm harry there his arm broke off back in 1948 <laughs> red glove harry red glove harry we call him Harry because he had a big beard. Um, furthermore, the majority of mountaineers have appeared to die on their descent, just as they were getting back into the relatively oxygen-rich environments below the summit. The fact that these people are dying on the way down is really intriguing because altitude sickness doesn't happen on the way down, says Hackett who now raises Himalayan yaks in Colorado. It's possible. What does that have to What's do that with? What's that have to do with? I just might, put that, I might throw this in there. Who now, by the way, raises Himalayan yaks in Colorado. The fact that people are dying on the way down is really intriguing because altitude sickness doesn't happen on the way down, says Hackett, who just bought a Prius. <laughs> a blue one to boot. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, because altitude sickness doesn't happen on the way down, says Hackett, who just had an egg McMuffin <laughs> for breakfast. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. possible that more people are dying than ever simply because more people are trying to climb it, thereby increasing the statistical likelihood of people with unknown heart conditions making the trek. I'm sure that's something. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely a contri contributing it's, factor. Sure, like but... we looked at the, the scuba problems going early on. Mm -hmm. Well, when the number of divers climbed from 500 a year to yeah. 5,000 a year, you're going to have an increase in problems. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Without autopsies, which can be hard to come by in such harsh conditions, these deaths could remain a mystery. I hope Everest ER people are collecting some of this data, says Hackett, who summited Everest in 1981 and served as the Everest ER physician on duty in the 2010 season. Sometimes people just leave and they don't want to talk about it. We're sort of in the dark about a lot of this. While it could put pressure on Nepal to better manage permits, the recent rash of deaths certainly won't stop people from scaling this near mythical peak. The risk is what attracted mountaineers to it in the first place. The climbing isn't that difficult, Hackett says. What Everest is really about is the physiology of altitude. Obviously. Yeah, well, I think from the way it looks, it isn't, uh, you know, like scaling a vertical wall. It's more of a going up a trail and with, with various obstacles in your way. I know they've got chasms. and Is that right? Chasm or chasm? I say chasm. You say chasm. I say tomato. Uh, you say chasm. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the physiological challenge, I think is to me, just reading and knowing what's going on, uh, that would be the big challenge. Well, I guess, cause you were saying earlier about, you know, there was a time where the Andrea Doria was the yeah. Mount Everest of shipwreck diving. Right. Not that it's the deepest wreck. No. It's just challenging, and, right? So you know, it's and, a ways like, out there. You don't you don't like zip out and come back the same day, right? So know, there's right? a lot of factors going into the dive that are are beyond just the dive itself that make it that extreme place. And I mean, I think what else built it up as this Mount Everest of scuba diving is the trail of bodies, right? Um, that adds to the the challenge, the mystique, the you know, I I did this kind of uh, chest beating, chest thumping thing, and then I think I think that dive in and of itself was maybe maybe part of the underlying reason of our you know basically what you I, you'd call this revolution in tech diving back in the early two thousands, where people started to you know poo poo the deep air, uh, you know look more into technique, uh, skill art of diving not just you know when you see these people that would be going and doing the 
the Doria. Basically, they were all about the gear. Well, yeah. Well, and then keep in mind, like this started back in like the sixties, seventies, yeah, eighties. Yeah, yeah. They were going out, mm-hmm. now, but there was less and less. But it was peaking there in the late nineties, early two oh, yeah, thousands. Yeah, no doubt man. about that. But my, I'm, I'm going to ask and you. And the body count, I think, was peaking as well. I'm going to ask you this philosophical question okay. to wrap this all up. Let's do I had it. a good little part of this. Okay. So let me ask you this: Do you think a lot of this mentality in the scuba world is because it was the growth was such a western thing like an american like when scuba came to the to the states in the 50s 60s 70s 80s there, there was such that john wayne you know yeah. spirit of yeah. you know uh growth that it was that ego driven for sure versus yeah. if it would have really had its heyday and growth and blossoming in early japan right instead of where it did like in a place that had more of a well, zen I, I don't think place would diving have grown the way it grew here i don't think it would have for the for the reason that scuba diving is filled with egotistical people they do but, it but, for their ego okay, where so what, the thing I'm, about the thing about that far east philosophy their way of life is a destruction of the ego a correct. repression they do not they do not do things egotistical that's shunned that's looked down upon in their culture so where in our culture is, is ego look at me get out of, you know john you said john wayne you know that was that that was the driving force behind scuba diving to a certain degree not that everybody was doing it for that reason but that was the popular i mean the most people the popular reason was for that agreed and, and, and that's i think that's what yeah. i was going is that's kind of what built diving for mm-hmm. so many years where had it grown in another place so we it wouldn't grow there though you needed you needed to be doing doing it for that reason. So we've looked at this guy Chris Noble before, and and some of the when we compared like why we climbed and why we dive in the past. Right. And uh, on his one of his quests over there in Nepal, he's got a writing in here that's it's pretty cool. I think it it matches a lot of what we're talking about right now. And he mm-hmm. says, "I've often wondered how climbing might have been different if it had been practiced first in ancient India or feudal Japan. We moderns like to compartmentalize." We place spirituality in a box along with religion, but separated from business, education, science, sports, and the arts. In the past, the East made no such distinctions. In ancient India, China, and Japan, any activity, no matter how mundane, was seen as an opportunity for spiritual growth. Making tea, arranging flowers, doing calligraphy. From one perspective, carrying water from a well is drudgery. But with a slight shift in attitude, it becomes spiritual practice. One of the most interesting aspects of modern climbing is that it shares many qualities with traditional spiritual practices. Yet those similarities are rarely acknowledged. Climbers are reluctant to assign a higher meaning to what they do lest they sound religious, pompous, or preachy. But anyone who has practiced one-legged awkward pose balancing on a granite foothold while trying to fish an uncooperative stopper into a crack recognizes climbing similarity to yoga. Yeah, and, I, I mean, and exactly. Does, is that not the the struggle that so many people in scuba face right now with buoyancy, balance, trim, kicks, and, wow. and, and that finesse in the water? Because they just want the end product. They don't want the... The journey, which is what all the, you know, the yoga, the Buddhist, the Hindu, it's about the journey and discovering yourself, and it's not for the ego. As a matter of fact, the ego is what's keeping you from discovering yourself. Your ego is your mask. The ego is what you put out there. And if you're doing it for the ego, you're not learning about yourself. Whereas if you're doing it for yourself, you're not out there chest thumping. You're not out there, like, you're not doing it to show everybody. You're doing it for the journey for finding out about who you are. So and let me ask you this. Yeah. Is there a bigger and better Mount Everest inside of us? Is that what you well, mean? Oh yeah. Hell yeah. Oh, there is. I love With it. scuba I love diving, it. I mean that's what we try to preach is that you you can get more out of scuba diving. You can actually grow and learn who you are from scuba diving if you put the time in. You've got to put the time in. You're not going to collect cards and learn about yourself. Yeah, it's uh, there. There's a. Uh, I wanted to say something about a logbook, but yeah. so it, it's it's more than just <laughs> the, the logbook book. entry. Yeah, yes, it is. I, in my humble opinion, for and the reason, I mean, I don't 
want to impose my reasons for diving on somebody else. Yeah, but it's why yeah. you and I can't honestly. It's say, why you're still here thirty years later, I right? Would say. I would because it's changed for me. Although I always had a draw to to being in the ocean and wanting to, and I, but I think learning to dive in the initial diving was wow. This big, I thought it was a big accomplishment that I it was like, oh yeah, I loved it. This is great and. You know the the idea that that not a lot of people were doing it was very attractive to me. I, right, I, I'm always and everybody's going to have that early on. Of, yeah. of of that, but, but the, 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 morphs, the one who's been there changes. twenty thirty yes. years, yeah, yeah, th- realizes I, there is there is a deeper. Yeah, it's that you know you continually learn about yourself. You are continually facing the challenges to try to do it better, you know, and and work on it, and it's still peaceful and serene, and you, it allows you to think and. It's quiet, and, uh, and of course, good people. All that good stuff is part of it. So if you if you just get into scuba diving and jump right to the Mount Everest of scuba diving, and you think you've done it all, of course you're going to quit. And if you live through it because you you lack the skill, you just went and bought the gear, paid for a card, got your selfie on the yeah, top of the mountain. Exactly, I did it. I the, did. The, you uh, don't. You're not going to yeah. have that that spiritual connection inside of you. That's, that's going to keep you possibly going. it. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. That was an that well that was awesome. That was an awesome little dive how that turned out. Well, yeah. I think uh I think it was pretty awesome. I mean, you can bring all that stuff to get into the real reasons behind doing things like climbing mountains and scuba diving. And there's a lot of parallels. I mean, there's a lot of similarities between the two, especially in when you look at the way diving grew it with the Mount Everest of diving back in the 90s and early 2000s and what's going on with the Mount Everest of Mount Everest of, of mountain climbing. Yeah, right now. Yeah. Cool stuff, man. Well, this was a little bit of a change of pace, a little bit of a current affairs for TGDP. I hope everybody enjoyed this little uh, break from the norm, but uh, still keeping something current that's on the, you know, news, it's in the news. It's news today, but uh, bringing it back to diving because uh, everything, like, everything, everything, everything goes back to diving. Everything goes back to diving, as we've heard Randall say many times. It all goes back to diving. Yes. So that cool. That usually gets me like a smack in the head or something. Now you're thinking like a diver, I'll say to her, and I'll get... Well, hey, everybody. Um, Hope you enjoyed this. Thanks to everybody who's on Patreon and uh, sending us messages about the Gareth interview. Yeah, we hope you enjoyed that because it it was fun for us. It was great to hear from. We'll have more of that for you guys in the future. So, um, sign my logbook. There you go. Uh, Old, take care, old brown shoes. Don't want to see you (laughs) frozen on a shipwreck. Love Sammy. Okay, here, give me yours. <laughs> wait, wait, here, give this to my shirt. Sign. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Safe diving. creature from the black lagoon picture is the exact replica of the stat of the the model the statue i, I ordered one. Oh, did you i ordered one yes but are you I, gonna put it in here i'm gonna try to put it right there on the wall right above the it's, map oh you're gonna you're gonna have to lower that map it's yeah. bigger than that